Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Dr. Frida Birnbaum. Dr. Frida has joined us before on our program. She's a research psychologist, psychoanalyst, an author, a mother of five, and she's talking with this... I'm um, going to be talking about this topic of depression uh, because this is always an interesting area of discussion. Um, Dr. Frieda, good morning. Good morning to you. This topic of depression and teenage girls, an interesting uh, study on this. What's your take? It's a very, very difficult stage for a young girl. Uh, there's a lot of competition, being popular, uh, getting the good grades, uh, knowing who they are. And, you know, we're talking about 30% more girls are depressed at age 13 and over. So we really need to look at this uh, problem and why it remains so today when we were saying that women's, women's power and uh, women have accomplished so much more, why is it still in this same place? Well, part of it is that we are identifying a time in their lives when they are changing, getting the grades, being popular, uh, buying those jeans uh, for $175 that the parents can't afford with the holes in them <laughs> or whatever. Uh, you know, and I wonder sometimes, is the girls that parents have more money, are they the ones that are more popular? Who knows? Maybe that's the case. So, you know, we're looking at a stage in our lives when we're questioning where we are going. You can't possibly do it all, and therefore they're stuck and depression sets in. With boys, uh, they're more action-oriented. So let's say if there's a relationship, uh, they'll go on and play sports if something happens wrong. A girl will fester on it, and she'll be very depressed because the messages still are different between boys and girls of who they are and what relationships mean today as well. So it's a very, very difficult time as the brain is evolving and, and growing and maturing. When you say it will fester on it, I mean, it's going to fester on it, but is it, it's not lasting for a lifetime, is it? It depends. And that's an excellent question. Because if it's two weeks or more, it is depression. And you know, when you, well, you, not everybody knows this, but you, as a teenager, things that affect you can affect you, and research has shown that for a lifetime. And that's the scary part about this. So we really have to deal with this now. There is an urgency when there are teenagers with situations, and boys get more involved with problems, often with drugs or behavioral problems, because socially that's the way their orientation goes. Uh, girls get more depressed about their looks and competing uh, and who they are in, their, in society. As that stays there and that confidence level uh, evolves, and if they can't do something about that, they see themselves that, in that pattern into adulthood. So often even kids, when they have special uh, interests in school, uh, such as computers or dancing, often that's who they become as adults as well. 
So if we see depression being exhibited, I mean, are there, are there different levels of depression that's exhibited by these girls? Well, that's true. I mean, depressive episodes. You can be disappointed. You can feel down. You can feel hopeless. That's one part of depression, but that goes away. When depression stays and there's nothing that is changing about that feeling of hopelessness and you see yourself in a very negative place, well, that's a real problem. And it doesn't have to be a professional to help you. Parents really need to be able to have an awareness about them when they see a child who's more isolated from the family, uh, who's more hostile, who's not seeing friends as much as they used to. Well, those are signs to really investigate. And the best thing a parent can do is to be available, to be a role model, so this child eventually has something to work with. Because what you see in the house is really what's happening out there as well. So if there is that role model present, can can that impact the, the length of a depressive episode? Immensely. Immensely. You know, when you are a teenager, you're learning so much. There's so much information coming in. So if you see anything, a link to who you should be and how you should change, and there's a comfort level there, well, that can help immensely. So I'm just saying parents can just be around physically. And when you talk about the small stuff, often the big things, the important things come into play as well. Eventually, if your child can trust your judgment, if you can be someone who is supportive, that's extremely important to the teenage years, well, always, but especially then, to be supportive of their problems, not to laugh at them, not to put them down or belittle what they're thinking, and therefore you end up having a bond and a relationship because not all friendships are good, and not, not all of their friends come from great role models as well. So you really have to be even careful who your child is seeing and what your child is doing. So if that can happen, then your child can tell you, hey, I'm going out with so-and-so, and this is what we're doing, and you can evaluate the situation. So if there's a drinking party and there are no parents there, well, obviously your child should not be going. So if you have that kind of relationship with your child, you'll know about these things. What about the relationship from one child to another in terms of how it is that they handle the news that somebody says, you know, they're depressed or they're exhibiting depressive behavior? Well, do you mean why is it that one child exhibits depressive behavior and the other doesn't? Is that the question? Well, that's kind of the question, but oh. it's also kind of how do how does that other child respond when a friend, a colleague, is indicating depressive behavior? Oh, well, that's an excellent question uh, because there are many things you could do. When someone is so showing signs already, that's been the case inside them for a while, and that's a heads up for you to be able to connect to that person. And there's nothing wrong, and there's no shame involved with really being obvious about it. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that. And this is so important for people to know that when you see a problem, go ahead and confront it. Go ahead and say, what's wrong? I, I noticed that lately you're not yourself. 
you seem upset. Uh, what happened? Did something happen that I could help you with? Or do you just want to talk about it? I don't have to help. Just to listen. Sometimes a person just hearing themselves will help them to unravel where they are, where they are stuck, why do they feel so bad. And sometimes it's the smallest thing. It could be things that seem insignificant to you, but could really harbor some kind of bigger scenario in that other person. You have to know what's important. So these people that are depressed, these teenagers especially, may not know what the big importance of that depression is all about. Is it because they're competing with someone? You know, girls uh, with relationships get more depressed. Boys uh, go on in their lives and and get distracted. So how are we teaching our children, uh, especially girls, to have certain values. Well, we need to teach our girls to be more achievement-oriented and less fixated on their looks because magazines, televisions, they set such high precedence that they're airbrushed anyway most of the time, you know, on magazines anyway, that girls do get more depressed. So if we dwell on this achievement, you know, I just want to uh, say something uh, interesting. I went to a little party in school, and with field day, and you know everyone's given the same T-shirts and shorts to wear uh, for the sports. Well, these girls came in these cut-out T-shirts and glitz all over them, beading and fringes. And I'm seeing, you know, and the one mother saying to me, "Girls are such high maintenance." No, they're not. Not if you compete with the other mothers as well. So the parents are the ones that really need to know what what their orientation is for their daughters. So if a father sees a daughter uh, who's playing tennis and is very accomplished and supports that part of her, well, the daughter will see herself more as achievement-oriented, and that's very important, and that will help also with all these depressive episodes because girls don't have to be stuck always on the superficial stuff in life. With the idea of depression and teenage girls, and we're talking with Dr. Frieda Birnbaum on our program, do we also have to be concerned about the, I guess, the ultimate form of depression where somebody becomes suicidal? Absolutely, and that's something that is not so unusual today with the high pressure of grades. You know, there have been reports that students that didn't get A's uh, often, and I hate to say this because it's so, uh, you know, upsetting uh, to to even know that they d- couldn't hold up to these standards and they became suicidal and they followed through with it as well. So there have been deaths about this. So we need to be able to realize that whatever is going on with our children or with our teenagers, to be supportive of it because they take everything so significantly. It's very new to them, who they are going to become. They're looking at themselves, you know, the frontal lobe of the brain is still developing, not till you're 26 does it fully develop. So they're still looking at themselves, who they are, and they're very into their future as well. So they're not thinking like children are worth thinking anymore of playing, but they're thinking about their future. They're, they're thinking about developing themselves. So they're very stressed out. They're very serious, and they want to know that they're fine. They're, they're going to be young adults and adults and do all the right things. 
So we have to be careful not to be too serious with our children. Very interesting discussion with Dr. Frida Birnbaum on our program. Dr. Birnbaum, for somebody who's listening to this discussion who may want more information about you or perhaps they want to reach out to you, how can they contact you? Well, I do have a website. It's Dr. Dr. Frida, F-R-I-E-D-A dot com. And uh, yes, they could uh, uh, go ahead and email me. I can respond to them. Uh, but the most important thing for parents to know is together time with the family is the best precedent you can set for your children. Being able to laugh together, to have experiences together, to have downtime together and connect is what they really need, and that will give them the stability that they're looking for. Dr. Frida, a regular contributor to our program. She's a research psychologist, psychoanalyst, author, mother of five. Thank you very much for joining us again on our My program. pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Take care. Rick Wolf Sports Edge follows our 8 o'clock update. Ed Randall's Talking Baseball is along after our 9 o'clock update this Sunday morning on The Fan. We're joined in uh, this portion of our program on The Fan, Sports Radio 66, Sports Radio 1019. I'm Bob Solter, joined by Dr. Brad Radu on our program. Uh, Dr. Radu is a professor of medicine at the University of Louisville, and he is joining us on our program. Well, we're going to be getting into an interesting discussion uh, about the topic of smokeless tobacco, in a way, and it's a subject that we have not touched on this program, on this topic, in a number of years. Uh, First of all, Dr. Radu, it's nice to have you join us. Good morning. Welcome to our program. It's a pleasure to be here. In beginning this field, let's do a little bit of uh, your background. Um, A natural question, and I always like to cover background on guests from the standpoint of people listening to us. How did you get into um, this field? Well, I'm trained as a dentist, and I specialized as an oral and maxillofacial pathologist. Mm Mm-hmm. We're a rare breed. We're mostly at dental schools and major medical centers. And one of our areas of expertise is mouth cancer. It's a rare disease, but it's a very important one in that it's potentially fatal. And uh, so we tend to uh, be experts in that. We make diagnoses. uh, We look under the microscope. And we assist uh, in the care of mouth cancer patients. Back in the early 1990s, I discovered that I had been misinformed about the risks of mouth cancer. And uh, basically, I understood that smokeless tobacco was a big risk factor for mouth cancer. And I found out that, in fact, it's entirely the opposite. That's the, the actual epidemiologic research shows that smokeless tobacco is a very, very small risk factor for mouth cancer and all the other diseases that affect smokers. And so I suggested in a medical article that smokers might consider switching from cigarette smoking, which is very, very uh, risky, 
to smokeless tobacco, which had far fewer risks. And at the time that you did that and made that suggestion, what was the reaction? Well, you have to keep in mind that everyone in America, and especially in the medical profession, believed wrongly that smokeless tobacco was equally dangerous as cigarettes. And so the reaction was very, very negative. Um, many people didn't believe the evidence. And I spent, I've spent the last 20 years trying to educate smokers, my fellow medical colleagues, about the real risk differentials between smoking tobacco, that is burning tobacco, creating thousands of chemicals versus just using a little bit of tobacco in your mouth or nowadays uh, in vapor. And these days, the reaction that you get to this idea, obviously, I'm assuming is vastly different than it was when you first suggested this? Yes, I think that um, we've evolved to understand that it's the smoke that kills. And one of the important things that I think Americans are starting to understand is that nicotine, which is the addictive uh, agent in tobacco, does not cause any of the diseases that end up killing smokers, the multiple cancers, the heart disease, strokes, emphysema. Nicotine does not cause any of those diseases. It's an addictive drug. It's a drug we have to respect. But it's also a very beneficial drug for many, many people because it has some very positive properties that makes them want to use the drug in somewhat same respects as caffeine my favorite drug of addiction that we consume in coffee tea cola drinks every day millions of people consume caffeine but in a smoke-free form so it's relatively safe and that's in fact the way that nicotine can be consumed if we change our mindset. Let's back up for a second because, you know, very often in these discussions, we use this term smokeless tobacco. And I always like to approach discussions as simply as possible because I wonder at times if everybody is on the same page, if everybody is as knowledgeable or fully knowledgeable. When I say those words smokeless tobacco to you, how do you define exactly what smokeless tobacco is? Well, smokeless tobacco in the United States consists of three major categories. The, the most common that we see now is what we call moist snuff, and it's, and it's called more commonly dip, 
dipped tobacco. It comes in the round cans. It comes either loose, where, where, where you take a pinch, or it comes in small tea bag-like packets. That's moist snuffer dip. The second type is loose leaf chewing tobacco. That comes in shredded. They actually shred the tobacco leaves, and it comes in foil pouches. That's probably originally the most commonly used form by baseball players, where they would take a, a fairly large um, um, handful of it, shove it in their cheek, and basically play baseball. The third form is some is a very rare form nowadays. Unless you've lived in the South, you've probably never seen it. It's a powdered dry snuff product. It's the consistency of baby powder, basically. And it's been used by women in the Southeast since at least the Civil War. But in the last two or three decades, it's gradually been disappearing. So those are the three types of tobacco that we call smokeless tobacco. At times when we talk about the idea of smoking. And as you well know, there are many people who have attempted to quit and attempted to quit and attempted to quit because they quit, they fail, they quit, they fail, they quit, they fail, they go back to it. Why is that? Well, as, um, as uh, one of our authors, uh, one of our American authors said so famously, quitting tobacco is the easiest thing I've ever done. I've done it about a thousand times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the kind of thing that it's, it's a very powerful addiction. When we demand abstinence, that means no nicotine, no tobacco in any form. And some people become so powerfully addicted that they simply can't lead normal lives without, um, with, without, without the product. Now, it's possible that some people can quit. And what we see very commonly is they'll quit for six months or a year or two, and then they'll hit a rough spot. And it's, it, they reach for a tobacco product because it helps them with, you know, it, it helps them live a normal life. And, um, you know, it's a relaxant when you're nervous. It also kind of wakes you up, as does caffeine, when you're getting drowsy. Uh, soldiers on uh, guard duty overnight sometimes use tobacco to keep them alert. Um, Baseball players use smokeless tobacco because when they're in the middle of the fifth and sixth innings and they're getting bored. Uh, It's a long game with lots of downtime. I love baseball, so no no problems. But but that's the way that tobacco has been used by millions of people. It's enjoyable. They, they are satisfied by it, and they're, they're reluctant to give it up. 
We define an inveterate smoker as someone who is unable or unwilling to live completely free of nicotine and or tobacco products. Rick Wolf, Sports Edge, follows our 8 o'clock update. Ed Randall's talking baseball is along after our 9 o'clock update this Sunday morning on The Fan. We're talking on our program on The Fan, Sports Radio 66, Sports Radio 1019 with Dr. Brad Radu. He is a professor of medicine at the University of Louisville. He's joined us by phone on our program. Rick Wolf, Sports Edge, follows our 8 o'clock update. Ed Randall's talking baseball is long after our 9 o'clock update on The Fan. I'm Bob Salter. When we talk about the experience and knowledge in other countries, we also should touch upon what is being referred to as the Swedish experience. Would you share that with our listeners? Oh, I'd be delighted to. Uh, Basically, when I first started doing this research back in the early 1990s, I took a look at the epidemiology of lung cancer. It turns out that lung cancer is the sentinel disease of smoking. In other words, you can tell how much a society has smoked over the past 20 or 30 years by the rate of lung cancer. And when I was looking at uh, lung cancer rates across a spectrum of countries throughout the world, I one country just stood out, and that was Sweden. Men in Sweden had the lowest lung cancer rates in the entire developed world. And this has happened since, since uh, World War II. I mean, this has been over the last 50 or 60 years. And I found out that, in fact, men in Sweden use tobacco at essentially the same rate as men in all developed countries. It's just that they prefer smokeless tobacco. Moist snuff in Sweden is called snus. And in 2002, I went to Sweden and conducted a research sabbatical there with some of Sweden's top medical uh, experts. And we published a series of uh, professional articles starting in 2002, and in fact, I published them for about 10 to 12 years. And we demonstrated that snus use in Sweden, moist snuff use in Sweden by Swedish men, has protected them from all of smoking-related diseases. And that's why they have the lowest lung cancer rates. They have low stroke rates, low heart attack rates. Basically, Swedish men have one of the longest life expectancies in the entire world. They may be second to Japan. Usually Japan and Sweden are very, very close because Swedish men don't smoke at anywhere near the rates. In fact, if all men in the European Union smoked at the rate of Swedish men, we would have several hundred thousand fewer deaths each and every year from smoking 
throughout the whole EU than we have right now. When we talk about this idea of the Swedish experience you were just talking with us about, you know, um, I also need to bring up Swedish Match um, and their application for uh, modified risk tobacco product. I'm assuming you are aware of that. Absolutely. And that application is actually with the FDA. Would you explain that for our listeners? Sure. You you mentioned uh, previously that I have written a book for smokers only, how smokeless tobacco can save your life. Right. And um, in that book, I discussed, and I've done it um, also on my blog, Raw Do Tobacco Truth, I've discussed the four federal mandated warnings that one of which appears on every smokeless tobacco product sold in the United States. Three of the four warnings are either inaccurate or blatantly false. Number one, smokeless tobacco may cause mouth cancer. And, you know, there's very little actual evidence that moist enough and chewing tobacco actually cause any excess mouth cancer. In fact, a recent federal study that I've just blogged on shows absolutely no risk of mouth cancer among men in the United States. So that warning is tremendously exaggerated. Number two, smokeless tobacco can cause, um, uh, excuse me, smokeless tobacco can cause gum disease and tooth loss. I'm a dentist. I know those diseases. And I know the evidence for that in the scientific literature is very, very weak to none. That's number two. Number three, this product is not a safe alternative to cigarettes. And what they do there is they use the absolute safe. And when you do that, you can say that any product is not a safe alternative. Potato chips, uh, nature walks, nothing is safe. And yet, smokeless tobacco is vastly safer. Now, the fourth warning is accurate. This product is addictive. No, no issue with that warning. What Swedish Match applied to the FDA to do in April 2014 is remove the mouth cancer warning from its imported snus products that are available here, remove the gum disease and tooth loss warning, and finally change the warning about no safe alternative to a warning, to a notice, something like, while no tobacco product is perfectly safe, this product is significantly less hazardous than cigarettes. A perfectly accurate warning. The FDA denied all three changes. And it's a really devastating blow because they now have endorsed the, the, the 
basically false warnings in not letting those warnings become more accurate. But isn't it also the case that Swedish Match was really the first to receive, um, I guess what are referred to as pre-market tobacco product approval for these new products coming from the FDA? That's correct. The FDA did give Swedish Match pre-market approval to market the products. But any product that has those uh, false warnings on it still has an uphill battle to um, to basically win the hearts and, and appetites of smokers. Uh, you know, you, you, you buy a product, and although there might be some discussion that it's not as dangerous as cigarettes, with those federal warnings that now have been kind of further endorsed by the FDA, it's an uphill battle to compete with cigarettes when uh, we have that, th- those uh, false warnings. Hmm. Well, let's talk about the big picture here. When we talk about public health and those who oversee public health in this country, is it your belief or opinion that this idea that all tobacco products have the same risks should not be the public health position in this country? Absolutely. Absolutely, because the science is crystal clear. There are dozens and dozens of epidemiologic studies that demonstrate the very low risks of smokeless tobacco and, of course, the much higher risks of cigarettes over a career of smoking 20 or 30 years. And so there is absolutely no basis for the continued, um, the continued policy that we treat all tobacco products equally. This idea of the interchangeable use of tobacco and smoking when talking about the dangers of smoking why does this take take place so often? Well, I, I'm I'm that's one question I have difficulty answering. I've documented in my blog how common it is for agencies and organizations to use the word tobacco when they really mean smoking. That conflation of the tobacco plant with disease and death, I believe is deliberate. Uh, There is certainly no one that has has been involved in the tobacco field that could possibly confuse the tobacco plant and smokeless tobacco products, or I should say smoke-free tobacco products, with a product where you light it on fire, you create five or 10,000 different chemicals, and you inhale those uh, 
10 or 20 puffs at a time. It's just mind-boggling that we would conflate those two things. So I, I guess I have to acknowledge that I believe it's deliberate. And why do you feel that the Centers for Disease Control and the Food and Drug Administration in this country are not putting out, I guess, what you'd refer to as kind of clear answers to the public about the relative risk of smokeless tobacco products? You know, I've tried, and many of my blog readers have tried to get accurate information. We have challenged the CDC. We've asked the CDC, do you believe there is any difference between cigarettes and smokeless tobacco? And they refuse to answer. And so, you know, you would, you would have to engage someone at those agencies to understand why they don't believe the scientific evidence. I mentioned your book for smokers only, How Smokeless Tobacco Can Save Your Life. What was your hope in doing the book? Oh, I've always had one overarching goal, and that is to educate smokers about safer tobacco options. That's been my goal since I started in this field back in the early 1990s. You know, you have to understand where I came from. I've spent my career at major medical centers with cancer centers. So I've, take, I've taken care of, made diagnoses on many, many cancer patients. And when you take care of cancer patients, there's always the, and, and, they, and they're smokers, there's always the question, what if? What if they had had the opportunity and, been, and had been able to quit smoking before they became afflicted with this disease? And so after 20 years of taking care of cancer patients and coming upon this idea that there are safer tobacco products, that nicotine itself is not the problem, I, I started, and I've never stopped, to try to educate smokers. Interesting discussion with our guest on our program on the fan this hour, Dr. Brad Radu. Uh, Dr. Radu, as I mentioned, a professor of medicine at the University of Louisville, uh, the author of the publication uh, for Smokers Only, How Smokeless Tobacco Can Save Your Life. You've been very kind with your time. You also mentioned your uh, blog site. Would you mention that again, please? Yes, it's Rodu, R-O-D-U, Tobacco Truth. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, sharing in a discussion that I think is insightful and hopefully um, will inspire some of the folks listening to us to check out your material as well. Well, thank you very much for your for your uh, time and your questions. Well, that does it for our fun fest here on The Fan this Sunday morning. Interesting discussion with Dr. Brad Radu. Thank you for joining us. Rick Wolf's along with the Sports Edge following our top of the hour update. Ed Randall will be by talking baseball after our 9 o'clock update. You know where. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.